Hey, this is Jen Johans at FilmIntuition.com or FilmIntuition on social media and Letterboxd. And this is Watch With Jen and Friends. If Watch With Jen is the studio track, this is the acoustic version. Today's guest is Blake Howard, a thoughtful, ambitious, and passionate writer, podcaster, as well as the editor-in-chief and co-founder of the excellent Australian film blog Graffiti with Punctuation. Blake Howard is a Rotten Tomatoes-approved critic and columnist for Australia's notable site Dark Horizons a graduate with honors from the University of Newcastle who wrote his thesis on authorship and masculinity in the work of Michael Mann, Blake took his devotion to the acclaimed filmmaker several steps further by starting the cult favorite podcast, One Heat Minute, which I was so honored to guest on, which looked at Michael Mann's heat one thrilling minute at a time. Launching One Heat Minute Productions, Blake followed that up with the last 12 minutes of The Mohicans, produced Increment Vice, and launched Josie and the Podcats. His latest work includes The Knockout, All the President's Minutes, Miami Nice, and Zodiac Chronicle. Needless to say, I'm not sure when the man sleeps, but I am so grateful that he's carved out some time to hang out with us today on Watch with Jen and Friends. Welcome, Blake. How are you doing and how are you adapting to quarantine life? Uh, I'm doing pretty good. I Quarantine was a pretty easy transition for me because my day job, uh, I work in communication. So like our entire team became a team that was like, well, we can just jump online. Like I'm going to work with to deadlines. I'm going to be filing things. I'm going to be interacting with people. There are no such thing as events at the day jobs. So it just like all goes, goes away. Um, what it's made me do is tinker relentlessly with my office at home because okay. I'm sitting in the same space all day yeah. with work <laughs> and with podcasting. And so it's like you just stare at it all day and go, I need a new shelf here. I would like to make more soundproofing things here. And so basically the last, you know, seven, eight weeks or whatever it has, has been since the beginning of this thing, it's like one, um, you know, one, no money being spent on going out anywhere, doing anything like that or anything, <laughs> nothing being <laughs> said elsewhere, just, uh, just, you know, taking time to do that. So I've kind of adjusted pretty well, but I'm maybe one of the lucky ones. Because in Australia, like, we locked down borders, we have very stringent rules, and we've been able to curb stuff so much that, like, things are actually getting a little bit better. So, like, Jen, you will see, but not other people will see, like, I got a haircut today because hairdressers are now open in, in, oh, wow. in Sydney. So, like, if they have social distancing, like, they're only allowed, like, a couple of people in their shop at a time and things like that. Uh-huh. Like, I, 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 I took a... I took a, a, some leave days off of work because everyone's leave is going up and no one's going anywhere not on holidays. Um, so I took a few leave days and I've been able to get a haircut. So I'm, I'm going okay. I feel like the most grateful person. I have a job. My wife has a job. My kids are healthy. Um, you know, and you probably know this better than anyone. Is like, And I also have a lot of other projects that I've been tinkering along with yeah. at the moment and now a little bit more time where I have to be home. So those things can accelerate uh, exactly. a little bit faster. <laughs> That's basically, so I, I feel really blessed. Like I've, I've, I've got like survivor's guilt and okay. in this thing big time. Yeah. Well, I love the haircut. I actually gave my mom <laughs> a haircut today. She was like, I need one. Will you cut three inches off of my hair? I'm like, are you kidding? That's a lot. <laughs> 
but I did it. She's happy with it, or she seems happy with it. So I'm not going to like open a shop or anything, but hey, I can cut your hair. So I'm glad you got listen, it taken care of. But yeah. Listen, listen my, my wife gave me my last cut in ISO. And uh, okay. it was very good for for an amateur hair, haircut. It was very very uh, <laughs> respectable, um, but yeah, I was very impressed. Well done. Yeah, yeah, it was scary <laughs> as hell. I'm like, oh no, I'm gonna botch it. But yeah, I'm sure when she goes and gets like her first professional cut, they're gonna be like, what happened? But they're probably gonna be doing that for everybody. So Everyone. I won't feel they're, they're, quite as embarrassed. Like, oh, you're trying something. You tried something new, and like, no, I didn't actually try something it's just ISO. It's yes. Just ISO. <laughs> yes well I have to ask you're so prolific and your productivity is legendary so a what is your weekly schedule like for putting out such amazing content and so much of it and mm. b do you sleep because I'm kind of worried about you my friend <laughs> yeah so, 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 thank you. I'll, I'll answer the second question first. Yes, I do sleep. Okay, definitely good. Definitely do. I definitely do. Um, but uh, I guess most folks would know. Like, I have a three, I have a three-year-old and a and an almost two-year-old, so three and a half-year-old and almost two-year-old. Mm-hmm. So, sleep, uh, sleep is, you know, for the last few years has been a premium. So you learn how to survive on maybe a little bit less sleep, and uh-huh. um, and that's just the way that it is. And sometimes you need to do those catch-ups and whatnot. But like, there's not very many days that I get a ton of sleep. Like the 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 Blake before being a dad of like you know, 10 hours or something like that. It's just completely (laughs) like a 10 hour sleep is unheard of um, in my house. Now it's kind of like six is good. Six and a half. I really strive for six and a half to seven. And, you know, productivity is literally just, uh, uh, it's like a byproduct of organization. So like my weekly schedule, I work, uh, my day job, I work four days a week. Um, I I work for, I work, I work on four days a week, but I cram five days into four. So I work like, um, four 10 hour days so I can have one wow. day with my kids to look after them. Um, mm-hmm. and, as opposed to them doing daycare and stuff or anything like that, or, um, my wife looking after them. And so I do that. And then basically when they go to bed, that's like when I shine, you know, or, or, or during my work days, you know, some folks like to take long lunches. Some folks like to take long walks. I like to record podcasts. I will make <laughs> sure that like the previous night before I'm prepared. I watch things. I'm, you know, I'm watch things occasionally, you know, pre COVID, like I'm going out to movies, I'm watching movies, I'm writing reviews. I stay up late. I don't know about you, Jen, but like sometimes you see a great movie or you watch something good or you do a good podcast. You're really jazzed. I stay awake for a while. Yeah. I get my, I get my work done and then I just prepare. So like my evenings are my like prep, editing, doing things time. And during the day, the way that I stay productive is just I, I sacrifice things like, oh, I won't go and grab a coffee with a friend at lunch. I won't go out for lunch, like a long mm-hmm. lunch break. I'll be like, between 12 and 1, Sydney time, I'm talking to Jen, you know, <laughs> uh, in, in America. And that's the way that it'll happen. And so I, that's how I find my gaps for recording. And then I really just try and use ev- like use and relish every single bit of spare time that I have. So like I love a commute. Like my commuters are like 40 minutes on the train um, from the center of Sydney where I usually work to, to my home um, in just mm-hmm. the Sydney suburbs. And I on that train trip I'm writing or I'm listening to a recording or I'm watching a scene over and over again for a recording that's coming up. And I just try and, you know, plan it's, it's just over years of planning and, and, and I think the big, 
The second ingredient to productivity is I am really lucky is that I've chosen a vocation for myself to talk about, examine and unpack things that I love. So I get exactly. energized by talking to people and by doing it. So if I was doing something laborious, like I know that there, there are amazing film critics who can continue to, you know, um, find the way that art breathes for them and write into it and flex into it. And, you know, some of my favorites in the world are like Walter Chorum and Ola Dargis or Justin Chang mm-hmm. and, and, and Matt Zola Zeitz. And just there, there, there are all those people, Bilga, Ibiri, like the, these folks tackle things on a beat to beat release by release basis and seem to be able to breathe new life into it when you read it. But I haven't actually found that that's my talent. I find that I, um, I think my, my portal into things are the things that I truly and deeply love and that's my little niche. And so I find that I get energized by that. So when folks are like, man, you've got lots of energy for this. I'm like, yeah, no, it's actually a, like a symbiotic relationship. I'm getting energized by it and then propelled to do more and more. That's great. I actually spoke to Walter yesterday and I asked him about writing and he was saying he kind of needed it. Like he needed yeah. to excavate and it kind of seems like the same thing. Like if you're passionate about something, it's perfect, really. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And, and you know, Walter is exactly that kind of guy. Like, you know, um, and, and that's the other thing is I'm also lucky that I've chosen this, this you know, my instrument in the orchestra of film criticism is this podcasting medium. And um, part of it is just constantly you know, being able to adjust your lens, like an optometrist, yeah. I guess, like adjust your lens and focus with the way that you learn from other people. And like, so people like that. And yeah. I think that you're going to find it too. It's like the more that you talk to these incredible people, it's just like, you just yep. become a sponge for all of the great techniques that they have and lessons. And they, they might say things that are really true to you and, and near and dear to you. And you just go, yeah, that's, that's something I'm going to try and fold into my arsenal because, um, you know, that's the way I feel about a thing or, or whatever. But, uh, yeah, so that's my, I do sleep. Yes. And uh, <laughs> I try and keep, and I try and keep a pretty, pretty mean calendar for the rest of the week, planning out things that are happening and try and stay organized. Absolutely. Well, I know Miami Nice is launching as we record this. It's hitting Friday. Uh, What can you tell us about the podcast and also Zodiac Chronicle? (laughs) Um, So uh, let's start with Miami Nice. Uh, Miami Nice is a drink-along video podcast. It is a complete hang. (laughs) Mojitos. uh, It's just mojitos. Uh, Katie Walsh and I, Katie, who's a terrific critic in her own right for the Tribune Mm -hmm. Agency, LA-based, we became friends uh, doing One Heat Minute uh, podcast together, and we did even an hour on Den of Thieves as part of that show. And we've connected many times over many different podcast projects that I've been doing, and it was just something that when Katie and I talked about doing, uh, like, when, when other people were asking, oh, Blake, are you ever going to do another Michael Mann film after Heat and obviously the, the short series Mohicans, I was like, I would like to do Miami Vice, but I don't know if I would want to do it in the minute format just because it is a, like the minute format for folks, it's like really time consuming. If you haven't heard of it, mm-hmm. it's literally taking a minute chronologically of the movie, examining it and unpacking it and trying to plan of how you can release it over X amount of time. And it's intensive in scheduling and all that sort of thing. So Katie and I were just like, wouldn't it be fun? And it was kind of like this crisis sort of incentivized. It was like, wouldn't it be fun if we just had a video podcast where we sat together, had a couple of drinks and just took a topic, a character, uh, 
a music cue, a, just something, and just spent sort of 30 to 40 minutes having a couple of drinks and just making it a completely fun experience. So that's really what it is. It's like hanging out once a week with Katie and I. If you want to crack a drink and drink along, please do. Um, okay. It's just a very informal, so it's kind of going to meld the funnest elements of the podcast and sometimes serious. Sometimes we'll have folks on to really examine and unpack elements, but it's going to be much more of we're going to float with the tide. Like, what are we feeling this week? So, for example, the first episode that everyone's going to see in Miami, Miami Nice is just an introductory episode where we talk about how we came to it, how we still watch it, what versions we like better, the original theatrical look. Directors. And the second is, um, is all about just accents. It's our favorite characters doing accents in the movie and which accents we want to be real. Um, so, you know, for example, <laughs> Jose Euro by John Ortiz, um, Eddie Marzen. Um, but yeah, we're, we're just going to have a lot of fun talking through unpacking those things. And it's much more of sort of a hang podcast. Like where I think some of the best episodes of one heat minute, uh, you know, my favorites traverse from like really deep intellectual and philosophical musings to then just complete ceiling. Yeah like fantasy casting a hate music i think that i think that that's where we're gonna we're gonna lean towards the fun constantly with miami vice and because it just feels like that kind of movie um and then we'll we'll try and bring it back into things that we actually want to talk about as well perfect well you're such a natural host kind easygoing knowledgeable what advice would you give to aspiring or even new podcasters just starting out about how to approach it a lot of times people have asked me how I've connected with people. The, the biggest thing is like connections, right? And I think that that's what podcasts are. The best podcasts you can think of ultimately are people having a great connection, whether it's a funny connection, whether it's a deep conversation, whether it's philosophical, whether it's pouring your heart out. It's just about that connection. And so what I've found and, and particularly, and I think that Jen, you've been so nice to say nice things about it to me personally and others that have done the One Heat Minute Productions podcasts are that you come into a really safe space when you come to talk to me or to talk to Travis or, you know, to be interviewed by Maria very recently or eventually Katie and I on Miami Nice because you come to a space where we're just going to talk about a thing that we love. Like we're going to yeah. dive through sometimes a 60-second portal into a thing that we love. And so when the, you have a really broad spectrum, like what is a podcast, um, you know, you know, like it's something that's got such a, or, or you, you've got a podcast that has like a really broad remit. You're talking about a whole bunch of different things. It's sometimes hard to like get into the, why are we actually here to have this conversation? But no one ever has that problem with us. Um, any of the podcasts that we do, because it's like, I'm going to give you 60 seconds and that's all I want you to talk about. And if we only talk about that, uh, you know, that's great, but often it is just a portal into other things. And so that's what I would advise anyone who is kicking off. Like, be as laser focused as you can be it something that you couldn't sleep at night if you didn't do it um and that was definitely with one heat minute it was something that like i couldn't i couldn't sleep anymore until i did it and wow. then when i and then when i did it that's where you go okay that that's my thing that's what i can do and that's how i can find what are those other films what are those other pieces of art that i'm that i'm wrestling with constantly and it keeps saying, Blake, do this, like whispering to me, they're calling me. And so I would say that the two parts of it are, if you, if you find that laser focused thing, then when you talk to people about it, they A, know exactly what they're in for and B, if they connect to it, they'll be desperate to talk to you about it. And so conversely, if you've got a really wide, broad show, 
where you're going to be talking about anything, sometimes it's harder to foster that connection if you're not face-to-face or foster that connection if you don't have a pre-established relationship or things like that. I think uh, I've been lucky to circumvent that because, you know, the shorthand of, you know, if, if anyone in the world loves heat, <laughs> we're we're going to we're going to get along. Like we're going to get along. They might have different political views, <laughs> yep. different countries, <laughs> um different age groups, but if they like it, I think we 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 can have a conversation and we, you know, we'll we'll find a way in. So I think that that's what I've always found um for 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 both my method of in, interacting with people but also the 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 podcasting topic is like make sure that you people know what they're going to talk to you about if you're going to have a guest, but also make the thing that you've got, make you burst with love for that thing because your energy and your passion will help feed any person that you ever interact with. And it'll help feed the listeners, right? Because, you know, passionate people talking about things that they love, ultimately, um, you know, that's what makes for a really great podcast. I love that answer. I just realized I left you completely off the hook there. So Zodiac, Zodiac Chronicle? <laughs> Are you not talking about that one? No, 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 no. Not, I, I it's one of my favorite thing. movies, so I had to ask. <laughs> no, it's look, and it's one of my favorites too. Um, I have just gotten off a podcast called Josie and the Podcats with my really dear friend Maria Lewis. She's a, a winning she's an award winning author and she's just terrific. And um we did that and Maria is a very experienced TV producer as well as a scriptwriter. And we did that show completely differently to any other way that I've ever approached a show before in that we, we did all the interviews first. We had a structure for how we knew the end product would look. So we had six episode structure from, you know, the legacy of Josie and the Pussycats and then in development and then um, release and soundtrack. Um, and then, for, uh, you know, uh, the history of the the actual characters themselves. So we knew the kind of husk, we did all of the interviews, we scribed every interview. So like, you know, for anyone who's listening, like literally 40, 50 minute hour interviews with different subjects, we scribed every single one. And then wow. Maria, Maria went through the painstaking task after we sort of scribed those interviews of like assembling scripts for every one of those interviews so that we knew what we had and that fit with the structure of the show. And then it actually bloomed into 12 episodes as opposed to six because we had so much bonus, but absolutely glorious golden content that we wanted people to share it. You want to be able to share it. So that's a roundabout way of saying, looking at the way that that was done, it actually inspired me to go, I was a bit scared of doing Zodiac as a minute by minute show straight off the back of president. Um, because I just wasn't sure if I wanted to continue down that pathway of doing another minute by minute show straight away. Um, and there's like, it's the, it's the agonizing thing now, to be honest, because although Zodiac is a very deserving text for something like that, um, I just feel like after doing presidents and after doing heat, I could never do a Zodiac and I could never do like the insider or something like that. Cause it feels like there's just too much crossover yeah. stuff. Yep. Um, so, but, but it was something I wanted to work on nonetheless. So what it then inspired me to do was like, well, oh, now I know how I could do this. So Zodiac Chronicle is going to be a 12 episode short series. And by short, don't think by any means average, all the episodes are going to be short. It's okay. basically, it's going to be breaking the film down into so far 13 minute chunks. Um, uh, okay. er- and I will then look at two to three guests per segment. So, mm-hmm maybe three hours per episode. So <laughs> these are like Travis sized. 
Yes. Oh no. Increment actually, bigger. bigger than bigger, Ooh. bigger than increment vice episode sizes. I like that. <laughs> um, break breaking it down into these really long form chunks where we tackle it, but it's part of the production. The way to unlock it for me has been: I'll be writing personally. I'll be doing like twelve really long form essays about all the things I want to talk about in there building scripts for the episodes and then structuring in how I can layer in guests. So where I say at least two to three, it might be more. It might be like, there might be a five or 10 minute segment, you know, from different guests over different periods to talk about different things and how I then assemble them into the finished product will be how the show goes out. But I'll probably do like one of those every month. Um, one of one of them a month or one of them every um, um, every every week to a couple of weeks. I haven't worked out exactly how I'm going to do it yet. It's just sort of waiting, but I'll kick it off in July. So um, at, at worst, it'll be one a month and they'll all be named after the signs of the Zodiac and we'll kick off the show, uh, uh, you know, kick off the show in July on the 4th of July is how it's all going to happen. So um, I've Perfect. got a, a stack, I've got a stack of work in front of me, but I'm really excited because I think that, I think it will absolutely scratch the obsessive itch to exhaustively examine this film, but I think it might be a way that's a little bit more digestible and revisitable, just like the movie, because you will be able to dive into whole chunks um, of what you want to talk about with a whole stack of great guests. And so all I can say really is that the cachet of guests is going to be amazing. <laughs> like the, the oh, guests are already, the, the, guests, yeah. the, the guests, the guests are lining up. So I'm excited. And uh, yeah, I can't, I really can't wait for people to sort of, I, I can't wait for, for me to have it, for me to have fully formulated episodes ready and rocking to, to listen to and pour over and edit and, um, and all those fun things. Oh, that is so exciting. Yeah. I can't wait for that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to it. Yes. Well, I've been enjoying seeing the films that you mentioned you're watching on Twitter. Do you find yourself seeking out new movies right now or revisiting old favorites? And either way, have you made any new discoveries, anything you'd like to recommend or share? Uh, I'm a bit all over the place at the moment. Uh, but if I had to recommend a couple of things just really quickly, uh, I love Pain and Glory, Pedro Almodovar's film. I just watched it again. I've had it sitting there in my rental queue. Um, it stars Antonio Banderas and it's sort of like a semi-autobiographical tale about Almodovar himself about really it's about a director um, named Salvador who's wallowing in self-pity and a whole bunch of ailments and reflecting on life and when he has a, a an unexpected dalliance with heroin, strangely enough. Yeah, that was strange. A, <laughs> uh, he goes on this sort of uh, this road of rediscovery of all of his passions and the seminal moments of his life, the seminal characters in his life. Um, and it's just a, a, like a stunningly put together film in almost like every way. And I, I just adore it. So, um, and when it comes to what am I watching at the moment, because of, because of the Zodiac project coming up, I've been watching a hell of a lot of Zodiac. So like, uh, mm-hmm. and not even in full sittings. And I've um, in Australia been able to get access finally to Criterion Channel. So now I'm just sort of organically checking some things out there. But I'm I'm pretty random, Jen, when it comes to things. Like I'm uh, I I find myself revisiting things that I really love to just pour over artistry. And mm-hmm. then when I when I want to go and revisit things that I haven't seen before, I really like at the moment I'm sort of curating myself like a list of. I don't want to watch anything that I know is bad. Not even like hate watch. I, I have yeah. no desire. 
I've no desire in my heart to watch anything that people are like, this is bad. You should watch it. Um, I, <laughs> like here, smell this. That, it's awful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, thanks. That's not me. That's not me. Like I, I'm kind of like, I want to look at stuff that's great. I, and I, and you know, I, I only want to watch the very, very best. Like for example, you know, there's, there's a couple of movies I've just had on rotation in my office of late. I've watched, you know, in the last little bit, I watched the night of living dead. I watched the French connection. Um, uh, I'm just trying to think of the last other thing. Oh, um, I watched master and commander. Uh, you know, the, 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 I've recently rearranged all of my, my physical media collections. So I've just been sort of plucking out things that leap out off the shelf at me, but they're, they're sort of those things that I find myself leaning into to just grab what, what is great. What am I really feeling at the moment? And sometimes it's like counter programming from other stuff that I have to watch. Um, or it's like relief watching, you know, and, yeah. um, another, another big one is I recently got a chance to watch the trip to Greece, which is the new Michael Winterbottom movie with, um, I have the screening link. I'm so excited. Oh, Go ahead. <laughs> you you got to watch it. I love the trip movies. I absolutely yes. adore them. I think the trip to Italy might be one of the best sequels ever it completely yes. broke my heart. It's stunning. I wasn't as big a fan of a trip to Spain as no. at the time that I saw it. But I did watch it again, and I, I loved almost every part of it because every one of these films is so uh, committed to the bit, committed to, you know, you know at the beginning it's like Coleridge, um, uh, Coleridge <laughs> and Shelley, and, um, oh, sorry, but Shelley and Byron is the second one in Italy, and then it's like Coleridge and, um, and Wordsworth through the English countryside, and then it's Don Quixote in Spain, um, and then it's the Iliad and the Odyssey in, in, in Greece. And I watched Trip to... Greece, and then I immediately went back and watched the trip, the trip to Italy, and then trip to Spain, all back to back. And so I've found myself like in this longing headspace of like, am I ever going to be able to drive a car through Northern England and Scotland again? You know, I did that yeah. on my honeymoon with my wife. Oh, wow. I'm like, am I ever, am I ever going to be able to take my kids to Greece? You know, <laughs> and drive around glorious yeah. Grecian hills. Um, so yeah, it's just one of those things where I was looking back, but I I don't I'm not as uh, I'm not as good at like curating movie lists for myself. What I do is I look at people like you, you, you're really good at putting like, what were my last four? And I like usually go, Oh, Jen just watched that. That looks good. And I just pick that out or like Travis <laughs> will do it yeah. or our friend Jed Ayers or Jordan. Yep. And I'm like, Oh, that, that looks good. You've just made it easy. Cause like the impossibility is having, when you've got criterion, you much. know, I could watch any, uh, you've got criterion, you've got Netflix, Stan, mm. all the physical media. It's just like, Oh my God, I could just watch anything right now and that's too hard yeah you suffer from over choice well you were talking about pain and glory and it brought back the memory of i actually saw it with a professor friend of mine who is middle-aged and gay and boy it was like it was a little much like after when we were walking out he just was quiet for a little bit and i just i love seeing something affect him like that he's kind of my elmo of our buddy we like as far back as bad education we were going and uh. So, yeah, he was my beard for the NC-17 movie, you know, it was great. But, but yeah, so you brought back that. Now I want to watch Pain and Glory again. It's so good. And Pain and Glory, so wonderful. Yeah, I've so been wonderful. wanting to revisit all of the trip movies. So we're in sync here. I cannot wait for Trip to Greece next week and need to watch that screener. I've been, like, saving it for the weekend, but I might break into it early. So. Break into it early. And, all and right. yeah, I'd, it's... The trip to Italy is just, oh my God. I can watch that movie. That, you know, that, that, it's just so beautiful, so effortless. 
And then it's just heartbreaking because the person that you love does something really makes a really dumb and bad choice. Yeah. And just like, and, and every time it hurts, every time it hurts. And actually, it was actually my birthday not too long ago. What's today? Is it the 15th of May today that we're recording this? I'm not sure if you, we, we say that on your show. 15th oh, you're fine. Or 14th? Yeah, it's the 14th, I think. Now I'm like, what day is it? Oh, oh my gosh, it's the 13th. We're way off. But anyway. Way off. Um, on my birthday, which is the 1st of May, I um, I sat down and I watched Train Spotting 2. T2 Train Spotting is so good. You know, a lot of it. And I just, that's another one. I may, maybe that's what I've been on recently is like a sequel kick, a sequel kick that, that, that actually means something. You know, I think a lot of folk who do the, you know, the superhero marathons, because it's just like so many of them that they're like, yeah. oh, the sequel's better than the original. I just don't care. I like, I really liked watching Train Spotting too. I just, I think it's, I, I love Danny Boyle. I was on a massive Danny Boyle kick for a very long time. He's one of my favorite filmmakers. Um, you know, Shallow Grave is absolutely insane. And the original Train Spotting is insane. And Sunshine's one of my favorite science fiction movies. But I, I think Train Spotting 2 is just like, again, maybe it's that middle age, like, desperation they, yeah. gazing like that that sort of thing it just really struck a chord with me and remembering back to innocent times and just trying to track where did where did this all go wrong and i oh. love that people <laughs> pouring over that regret i just adore it maybe that's a bit, a bit uh melancholic of me but that that's been i've just been adoring watching those sorts of things and and seeing how it's all playing out but yeah i i'm i'm the, I'm the worst with what what to recommend because i watch things a lot over and over again oh you're fine it's my birthday next week so maybe i'll have to go the blake route and watch a <laughs> watch a navel gazing or a good sequel maybe i'll have to you what, know hit up what? godfather 2 see a little de niro and uh, yes. epic sequel you know why not so, yeah 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 I, I i think i think if you went the godfather 2 and then watched the trip to italy it'd be happy days it'd be really Perfect. It'd, be, it'd be both poles of, of that experience Yes. Well, excluding heat, of course, if you were going to program a triple feature of movies that would best introduce you and your tastes to others, which films would you choose? And no, you can't mm. choose heat, my friend. <laughs> I can't choose heat. Okay. Because that's like a given. Well, You'd be in the heat t-shirt, like introducing these movies. So. <laughs> uh, let's go just because... Um, just because it might be a little bit unexpected, I'm going to go an Australian film. I'm going to go a film from a director that, uh, like, it's totally out there in their resume, but I think it's a masterpiece. Okay. And and I'm going to go with a can another completely frame by frame piece of cinematic perfection. So the first movie. Uh, First movie I'll recommend if you want to get no actually no I'm going to change that okay. Australian one that's out I'm sorry see you Australia um, the first movie I'm going to recommend is Creed Ryan Coogler's Rocky sequel great movie uh, which might be it's definitely better than every other Rocky movie uh, besides Rocky okay uh, yeah. <laughs> I would go with that I was going to say but, but Rocky is yeah. besides the original Rocky but I I deeply adore it um, I love it for giving a chance to look back at yourself and try and do something different, you know, when it's the, the Rocky character himself, but it's also like a passing of a torch. There's not enough of that. 
in mm-hmm. the way that sequels work, especially in like superhero movies and stuff that drive me nuts, that there's just no passing of a torch. People want to clamor on to, you know, clamor onto a mantle forever. And yeah, hit repeat. Yeah. I hate that. I love, I love Creed for all the reasons that it manages to pass the mantle. And it just, um, uh, boxing is in my family. I've got, um, uh, you know, on my mother's side, my uncle is a famous boxer. So boxing has been so quintessential in my life. I don't talk about it a lot, but that's been, it's been a huge part of my life. And so when I watch that, I think about him and I think about my family and I think about like just generally sacrifice like that, like w- what you have to sacrifice mm-hmm. to do that um, and how that all plays out in your life. So that I would say definitely. Um, I'll play the next one. I would play Kevin Smith's Red State. Okay. I have not seen I've, which I saw at a premiere in uh, Carnegie Hall in New York City uh, back in 2011, I think it was, when it came out. And uh, it is a, it's a horror-ish movie about a fundamentalist Christian cult who uh, ensnare young boys with the, the promise of like, you know, a paid sex act with this woman and end up using them to sort of, as sort of sacrificial lands. They like, these are like little sinful, you know, people so they need to be punished. And, uh, it has an iconic performance by Michael Parks that like, if you were to look at it against pretty much 98% of actors who've ever won Academy Awards for acting, they should just bow down to Michael Parks. Like he is just, wow. Prof- profoundly better than most people do anything. He does this preacher in this movie. I think it's Kevin Smith's most thrilling movie because it kind of takes all of the fun and the, the sort of slacker uh, potential of a lot of the characters that he's ever created. And it takes them into a, a nightmarish scenario. And so all of the sense of humor is skewed and, and, and it's, and it's his most dynamic visual film. Um, I love it. And I, I love seeing it live with him and I, it's by far it's his most exciting thing. I do love him, his stuff. I love clerks. I love, um, I love clerks too, as well. It's a good sequel. Um, it's been a really funny sequel conversation. Um, but I really yeah. love red state if for people who haven't seen it because it's great. Uh, and then a final film, let's go no country for old men. It's perfect. Oh, yes. Just frame, frame by frame, all over, all over every acting, every acting performance, uh, you know, obviously the central trio of performances, but every acting performance is just sublime. Uh, every, every choice, the storm rolling into those Texas Hills, just mm-hmm. everything, the philosophy of the film, the way that it's structured, it's just perfect. I just said, it's one of those movies that's just so staggeringly perfect. You're like, Oh, this is absolutely staggeringly perfect. So that's a weird trio a weird trio of like, this is my taste. I like creepy, religious, culty horror <laughs> stuff. I really love inspirational kind of, um, you know, knuckling down and, 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 and defining yourself by overcoming the guy in the mirror stuff. And I just love cinematic perfection and precision and deliberate choices like, uh, like No Country. I saw that movie three times at the, in the theater <laughs> and I just was blown away. It was actually the first review I was ever quoted in the guardian for. So wow. I, yeah. So that movie means a lot to me, but the third time I saw it, I took my dad and it was after it had won best picture. And, you know, he lives kind of in a, I don't know, older skewed, let's say demographic area. And, <laughs> 
so they were not having this movie at all. Like at the end of it, a woman stood up and was near where you walk out. And she was saying, this one best picture at the Oscars. Can you believe it? Can you believe it? This. And she was just like flipping out, having like an, oh my God. And it was funny because actually there was silence. Like what? At the end when the, you know, the credits come yeah, up, the, the way it ends the and they just were not having it at all. And so it was really funny to walk by her. And then my dad kind of said really loudly, so this was your third time seeing it, huh? <laughs> like, <laughs> she gave me the look of death, but. Yeah, I just love that film so much. So yeah, there's my there's my chair. It's great, and I love that your dad was trying to get you in trouble with a really loud woman standing <laughs> yes. on her soapbox at the end of this thing. There's not enough yeah. of that. There's not enough of that. <laughs> this one, oh. I know. So yeah. I almost had a throwdown at the theater. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, yes. It's good. Well, one question that I've always wanted to ask you is what got you interested in studying and analyzing film? Is it a love you've had since childhood or was it was there a gateway film or a moment for you? Uh, it, it's kind of like uh, I, I've just been obsessed with movies since I was younger. I was really lucky. Uh, my brother worked at uh, back when they sent them out there was a, a dvd and vhs distribution warehouse was where okay. my brother worked and at video stores um and i don't know if this is the same in the states but definitely in australia what would happen is the the distributor would send to the different video stores these things called time code tapes and they would send them out for the movies that were coming up so like sometimes there'd be a couple of movies on one tape or just one at a time and anyway the sort of like they would send the tapes back or they would chuck them out when they'd sent their quota or whatever they would just get rid of them because they were you know, basically they're not, they're not what people can buy. They're not what people are ultimately going to watch because I've got the little time codes. It's like watching a movie screener. But so at the time my brother finished high school, which is 1992, I was, mm-hmm. um, like I was, uh, he's eight years older than me. So I was still, you know, um, uh, still in school. But when my brother finished, um, then I inherited, uh, I inherited all of the movies that he would bring home. So oh, like, wow. pretty much from like, from like 1990, like just say circa 93 through to like early 2000s, I saw everything that was distributed by all of Miramax, like all of Warner Brothers, all of, you know, in Australia, like our local programming for the Australian Broadcasting Corporation, BBC. My brother would bring home all the time code tapes. And so I feel like I had this like ongoing education of American independent films as well as just being a bit of a movie nut. And so, you know, you're going through school and you're learning, you're doing that sort of stuff. And what ultimately I kept being drawn to and and kept finding myself trying to find a way back into talking about it was just how affecting, you know, different pieces of art were and like experiencing that. And so in my first year of university, I was just sort of floundering around not doing too much. I did a course called History and Film. The great teacher, an Australian author and historian named Philip Dwyer, and we started doing history, like comparisons to real history and like the, the and and films that were contextually or, or described as like really great historical interpretations of real events. And so or we didn't cover all the presidents because we're looking more at like ancient stuff um, and how they were divergent or how close they were, etc. And so I ended up just like killing that class and knocking it out of the park. And at the time, I didn't even know that there was such a thing as like cinema studies I'd, or, or oh, film media really? and cultural studies. I didn't really oh, know. Cool. It. And he's like, and, he, and he's like, 
you should be doing this. Like you're actually pretty good at it. And, um, and so then I sort of started down that pathway and started tinkering and then, yeah, I was off to the races, second year of university. That's where it really pushed me. And then, you know, you get to the end of that and you're like, what's the end game here? Do you want to talk about popular stuff? Do you want to talk about academic stuff? And at the time I was, you know, when I was leaving university after my honors thesis, I was like, I can't do that. I can't be alone in a library reading (laughs) by myself um, and not earning any money for for another however many years it takes to do a PhD thesis. I'm like, I can't do that. I can't, my brain's not ready for it. And I could probably go back and do it uh, upon reflection now, but it's, it's a different kettle of fish from Mm -hmm. that time. But, um, that's, that was kind of where I got inspired. It was like toward the end of my first year and I I completely pivoted to a film media and cultural studies degree and, and, and really pushed, um, there and, and got all the way through and, got offered to do honors at the end. And, and, and that's where I think what's strange, you would know this James, like you, when you get to that sort of tertiary stuff and you have to go off and do your own researching, it's a completely different kettle of fish than being assigned a task. Like here's a little task and go off and do it. Like you go yeah. off and sort of navigate these scary waters by yourself. Yeah. I self-designed my last two years of film study. So that was interesting. I mean, it worked <laughs> yeah. with like I, I had an instructor or a mentor that I worked yeah. with, but I designed everything and did all the reading. And yeah, it is weird. You're out there like, wait, I can just make up a class for <laughs> film noir and neo noir. And okay, why the hell not? So it was really, it was freeing. It was a little scary. I did miss discussions though, big time. Yeah. 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 And and that's, that's why I yeah. think like, years of missing discussions when you're sitting in a library by yourself yes. like where I can see my most media. My, I, I often say I wish I had letterbox back then because like there were days in that research degree where I was watching like going just to the, all these classic movies in this era, in era after era yep. and like pouring over these seminal texts and like I'd watch four or five or six movies in a day because they're all, you know, short and then I'd leave the library like bleary eyed with like countless copious amounts of notes that I had to try and translate mm. into some, 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 usable thing for any part of what I was working on. And yeah, I just like, man, my letterbox would have been out of control back then if that was, if, if it existed. But uh, yeah, it's, uh, that's where I really got that. And it really wasn't until later until like now and recently where I'm like, you know, there was a way to turn what I was doing into something that was more populous, but I wasn't ready. You know, you kind yeah. of like, you have to, you have to mm-hmm. find your, I, I feel like you've got to, go and or at least the way that I do things, you have to kind of go and do the wrong thing like 20 times until you find the <laughs> pathway that's like, no, this is actually what I want to do. This is, this is, this is what I need to do. Well, I'm glad. And I think you found your way and we are all <laughs> grateful for it because we get to listen to your amazing podcasts. Oh, thank so, you. That's really lovely. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time to do this and for you're welcome. Yes, gracing us with your wisdom, and thank you so much, Blake. Oh, Jen, you're the best. Thank you, and I'm so glad that you're doing this because um, we all online in the film Twitter community love you dearly, and so oh. hearing you be able to have these uh, great conversations with folk and, and connect, and then obviously your solo shows talking about everything that you're watching and helping curate the madness with us, um, it's really <laughs> special. So I'm really happy that you're doing this. Oh, thanks so much. Well, you take care and have a great night. You too. Take care. Bye. Bye. This is Jen Johans at FilmIntuition.com or FilmIntuition on social media and Letterboxd. And this is Watch with Jen and Friends.